them with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So, have you noticed a, a theme in my sermons for the last few weeks? In fact, I challenged you last week to make 2022 the, we, the year we learn about. You were all here last week. Kara's looking in her notes. That's why you take notes, folks. Jesus resolved to know Jesus better in 2022. That's our resolution. That's the focus. And I have a friend who says that uh, two things are going to happen if you attend his church. You're either going to get tired of hearing about Jesus or you're going to join us. And he really believes that you're going to make one or two of those decisions and he's just going to tell people about Jesus every opportunity he gets. His church today will probably have about 3,000 people in attendance. There's a, a key to church growth and it's not a secret it's Jesus. Now, as mentioned in my last few sermons, well, let me say this. Sometimes it's not fun knowing too much. Now, you might say, what does that mean? You know, I like to do magic tricks. And sometimes you can be really amazed by a magic trick until somebody tells you how it's done. And it ruins the magic. I'll tell you the one that ruined it for me. I hope it doesn't ruin it for you. Did you know that some of the famous, the David Copperfields, the Penn and Tellers, that do the great stage magic, and they make a girl disappear from here and wind up up there, have twins working for them. Ruined it for me. I have spent hours trying to figure out how they got the girl from the box, up in the net on the motorcycle, Twins ruined it for me. I got to tell you, I read a book to get ready for these sermons called Bethlehem, the year that Jesus was born, and it has ruined some things for me. Well, if it ruins it for me, might as well ruin it for you too. So here we go. <sighs> scholars, not Christian scholars, wanted to disprove the birth stories of Jesus. So they looked at some of the things that we take for granted. The star, the wise men, and the gifts. Now the title of this sermon is, The Star is Not the Star of the Show. That's where we're headed. So let's look at the first one. They said not only were the people in Persia, what we call Iraq now, known for being astrologers, but they were great astronomers. Because if you believe that the stars predict your life, then you need to pay close attention to the stars. So they were not only astrologers, but they were astronomers. And they said to King Herod, we saw his star in the east. So these scholars said, well, let's see if there are any other cultures that have a record of this bright star that we all learned about. In fact, when you buy your manger at uh, Walmart, sometimes it's got a big star planted right in the top of the manger. And there's no record of any bright star in any of the other cultures that had astronomers. Aha, they said. 
It's not really real. And then they stopped and they thought about it. So, has anybody ever conducted elementary band? It's an experience. 69-year-olds with trumpets, trombones, clarinets, saxophones, and bass drums. <laughs> Ready position, they all pick up their instruments. You give them a breath, a preparatory breath, we call it. The downbeat and the sound comes out. It's not always the sound you want, Kara's laughing, but it's the sound that comes out. And the elementary band director says, Jamie, push in your mouthpiece a little bit. Now, you might not know what that means, but that means that Jamie is a little bit sharp, and by pushing it in, Jamie will have the same B-flat as everybody else. Oh, he says, Thomas, pull your slide out a little bit more. Why? Well, he's a little flat, and we want to make it sharp. And if you watch the elementary band director or high school choir director, which I was, they have what I call music teacher ears. I've been trained to listen for the irregularities so that we can make music together. The astronomers searched the heavens for the irregularities that pointed to what they believed would be changes in the world. It probably wasn't that really bright star that we've all been taught to believe in, but it was a star that appeared in the east. But the star is not the star of the show. So now they see the star. They say, let's go worship the king and the three wise men or the three kings. By the way, you all know that there were an unnumbered. We don't know how many there were. When I was a little kid, that really ruined it for me as well. Because every nativity I ever saw had three wise men and I knew their names. Right? Casper, Melchior, Belthazar. We three kings of, right? We should really sing, we unnumbered kings of Orient are. Probably not kings, we traveled afar. They also probably didn't bring camels, like my nativity when I grew up. They rode horses. You've heard of Arabian horses. They come from Arabia which is up there where the wise men or the kings were from. So they traveled this long distance. The star was miraculous, but it's not the star of the story. Now, there is something miraculous about the star because when they arrive in Jerusalem and say, where is the king? The star appears again and does what? <laughs> Leads them to the house right where the child was. It was a miraculous star, but it's not the star of the story. Now, the gifts we talked about in the children's sermon, they were expensive. They were possibly prophetic. I want you to hear that. They could have been to represent Jesus as king, priest, and sacrifice, but it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. Pastors over the years have interpolated that for us, so they were possibly prophetic, but we don't know that for sure. And I want you to hear this. They were definitely portable. What do you say? Definitely portable. There's a wonderful movie called The Diamond Fleece. It was made back in the late 90s. 
It's one of those movies that nobody ever remembers but me, and that's okay. I remember it. I like it so much, I sent away for a DVD this week. And uh, it deals with the diamond industry and a caper that's involved. But one of the older Jewish diamond merchants is asked why there are so many Jewish people in the diamond industry. And he scoops up a handful of diamonds and he says, because you can carry them in your pocket. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were the American Express traveler's treks of the first century. They were worth a lot of money and they were portable. Do you remember back in the 70s, if you were going on a long trip, you'd go down to the bank and you'd give the money and they would give you those American Express traveler's checks and then you had to sign them all in front of the bank so that when you went out to wherever you were going, your signature had to match. And then they came up with the American Express card and the famous person would hold it up and say... Thank you. Don't leave home without it. You guys need to get here early and drink the coffee from the Alpha Group, okay? Right? Don't leave home without it. Now, we don't read this passage very often, but right after the passage we read is what scholars call the slaughter of the innocents. Herod was so sure that the king was going to grow up and usurp his authority He had all the children in Bethlehem under two years of age killed. We call it the slaughter of the innocents. The scholars also went looking for that. They looked in Josephus. They looked in the historical record, and it's not there. Aha, these skeptical scholars said, and then they thought about it. If Bethlehem was the tiny hamlet it was supposed to be, Herod probably only, and I don't mean that to mean only, but you'll see what I mean, only killed probably between four and eight children. Well, Herod killed his family members. He killed everybody he knew, in essence, to protect his kingship. So the fact that he killed four to eight unknown babies in a little hamlet called Bethlehem was not a remarkable story in the time and probably didn't get written down. So Herod was a liar and he was power hungry. He was violent. He was murderous. He was deceitful. And we've seen those movies where the Villain is the hero. He could have been the star, but he's not the star of this story. The wise men were attentive to the things of God. They were faithful. They had seeking hearts. They were committed, generous, and worshipful. Now, when I was in seminary, we'd say that'll preach. They were a great example for us, but they're not the star of the show. Oh, my goodness, you say, Madison, my nativity is getting emptier and emptier. No no star, no camels, no wise men, no gifts. What is going on? I have to tell you, Mary is in the story. She's a secondary character. She's the third bush on the left. It says, Mary was with the child. That's it. Now, we were hanging out at the opera the other day, and we were laughing about silly things we had to do in the opera. So we were doing uh, André Chenier, it's a French opera, and the uh, director decided that he wanted a drunk to wander out on stage during the overture with a big bottle and lay down on a bench and go to sleep. 
Does anybody want to guess who he picked to be the drunk? The pastor. Oh my goodness, the chorus thought that was hilarious. And I had to stagger out on stage, wobble back and forth with my bottle, lay down and go to sleep. And he left me there for the entire first act, sound asleep. I didn't have to sing a note. Out I was. And a couple of times I'll tell you, I, I didn't act. So we get to the end of the, the opera and there's a courtroom scene and the chorus are the jurors. And in olden times in France, if you were a juror, you brought things to throw. They got us a box of rotten vegetables, lettuce heads and tomatoes and cucumbers and all these rotting vegetables, and they handed out to us. And at this one moment, when Andre Chenier is standing up for what he believes in, we were supposed to wing all of these rotten vegetables at him. The director is French. He's from French Quebec, and his English is not pristine. And during rehearsal, we forgot. We were so engaged in the music, we forgot. And he ran out and he threw up his arms and he shouted, throw the salad, throw the salad now. Well, we remember that forever, right? <laughs> throw. Every now and then when we're just sitting around, somebody will whisper, throw the salad. And we'll, we'll all die laughing. There was a reason for that story. It is now completely gone. It will come back. We know my memory works that way. So if you've figured it out, who's the star of the show? Jesus is the star of the show. Now, we've compared Jesus' relation to us in the last few weeks as the designer of a roller coaster. We never have to ride the roller coaster alone. Jesus is with us. We've compared him to a prince who falls in love with a pauper and becomes a pauper so he can fall in love with her, and then he takes her to the castle. We've compared him to a save, patient savior who knocks on our door and waits for us to open. And we've compared him last Easter, a long time ago, to a pastor who buys an old bird cage. Do you remember that one? To save the birds from the cat. Today I have a new story. Uh, I just found this one, and it applied to our life so much that you may hear Vicky giggle. I wanted a train under our Christmas tree. My grandfather had a train. My uncle had a train. Remember the old Lionel trains? And they'd hook up the transformer and and chug around. I wanted a train. And, and last Christmas, a year ago, I got a train. I got a Mickey Mouse Disney train. Mickey is driving the train with his head out and it's remote controlled, it's battery powered, and it goes around, it's got a button for the bell, ding, 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 and I can blow the whistle, woo, woo, and I push another button and Goofy goes, next stop, North Pole. And we, we set it up under the tree and it's got batteries, so there's none of, remember you used to have to find just the right place to plug in the train and make sure it all, Batteries. We love batteries. So Kayliana comes over, the three-year-old, and we give her the remote because they really can't mess up the train. It just goes around and around, and it can go frontwards and backwards, and you push... The oh, she loved the train. Backwards. 
We, we, you can go frontwards and you can go backwards. And the three-year-old runs the train backwards. She just thinks that is the funniest thing. And her mom reaches over and puts it frontwards. And Kayliana puts it backwards. And she giggles. She thinks it's the funniest thing. And the train runs backwards. Okay. Theo comes over. You've heard a lot about Theo. Theo's about two and a half. He's younger than Kaylee. Theo likes it make it go back and forth like this. Like Theo, let it go around. No, he just likes going like this with the knob. Backwards, frontwards, backwards, frontwards, backwards, frontwards. And uh, when he gets tired of that, he takes the little knob and he hits it as fast as it can go. Why? Because he's all boy. That's what boys do. If it goes fast, I want to see how fast it can go. Now, Jasmine is only six months. She has no interest in the train. But Noah is now mobile. He's a little over a year. He's about 14 months, and he can move now. So he does that baby bear crawl over to the train, and he's watching it go around, and his mom is watching, and he looked like Godzilla in a movie from the 50s. His hand came out and slammed down on the biggest car of the train, and he knocked it off. And it stopped going. Oh, the lip starts to go, and the eyes start to go. And he's like, uh, uh. So then my son, because he's the dad, he's trying to fix the train from above. He's reaching down, trying to fix the train by, you know, you reach down, you put it back on the track. Except if you've ever had one of these trains, the wheels on the bottom spin around. That's how it goes around the curves. And I said, son, you really can't fix the train until you get down next to it. And me, graceful me, knee replacements, shoulder replacements, had to get down on my belly next to Noah and the train to put it back on the track. I had to lay down beside it to make the wheels line up and to make the train go. Jesus knows that your train is off the track. You can see where this is going, right? And he's been looking down from above for thousands of years, sending prophets and the word of God to guide us and encourage us and teach us. And it ain't working. So what did he do? He laid down on the floor next to the train to show us how to put the wheels on the track and to get us moving in the right direction. If you're taking notes, sin disconnects us from the track. Jesus reconnects us to the track. He, protects, he reconnects us to our created purpose, which is worship. He reconnects us to our commissioned purpose, which is evangelism. He reconnects us to our relational purpose, which is fellowship. And he reconnects us to our benevolent purpose, which is giving. Jesus came that we would worship, share the good news, fellowship with one another, and give to the ministry. Jesus is the star of the show. If you've never received Jesus, take today as your opportunity to reconnect. Our last hymn, we're going to leave the first pew open. And if you would like somebody to pray with you or for you, 
We encourage you to come forward during the hymn and have a seat in the front. And one of our deacons or pastors would love to pray with you. If you have at one time reconnected with Jesus, but your train has fallen off the track, or you've wandered away from the track, make today the day that you reconnect. And if you have a need, an issue, a challenge, or just need somebody to pray with you, our first pew is open. Come forward during the last hymn and let Jesus be the star of your heart. Amen.